Boom. We're live. Hi. Mr. Joel Ojeda, how are you? Doing good, man. Good to, very, very good to see you, man. It's been a couple of years that, that we've actually uh, seen each other. And uh, just thank you, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity of having me here. Of course, man. My pleasure. Um, I'm glad you're here. And yes, it has been a while since we've hung out. So first of all, congratulations on the beard. Thank you. That, that's quite a beard. That that is quite a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw the episode with the uh, I think Cristobal was here and a couple of other people. You guys uh-huh. were talking about your beards, uh-huh. yeah, and about the beard oils and all that. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. You yeah, know? we don't we don't even come close to you. I think <laughs> all of us combined don't even we can't compete on that. Um, so um, you do a lot of things. You are an ordained minister. You're an author. You are a mixed martial arts ref. That's how you have the name, the bearded ref. Bearded ref. And you have a YouTube channel called the Gold Corner. Correct. And actually, I found out about your channel recently, and then I wanted to talk to you because I wanted I I, I wanted to talk to you ever since I started the show, but I was like I don't want, I don't know if I want to get into that subject with <laughs> Joel on the show. But then when I found out that you have your channel and that's what you talk about, I was like, well, I guess we can do it. Yeah. So tell us, tell people, for people who don't know, tell them about The Gold Corner. What's that about? So The Gold Corner is a channel that I started, um, and, and you know we'll get a little bit more into this uh, right now, but um, my, my two-year-old daughter, um, she was two then, uh, was diagnosed with stage four cancer in 2017. And, you know, we, she fought very, very courageously, uh, but unfortunately, 10 months after diagnosis, she passed away two weeks before her third birthday. So the gold corner kind of came about. I wanted to create a channel and a platform because when I was going through this, I was I was looking um, online to see if there was any channels or anything that would speak about childhood cancer. And I know it's a very, very touchy subject, you know, when it comes to that. A lot of people don't want to think it exists. A lot of people want to think that cancer is when somebody smoked for 40, 50 years and they get it, you know, when they're older, but they don't really want to know about, you know, children getting cancer. Right. So um, I, starting this, I knew it was going to be, you know, a touchy subject, but I still wanted to create this again. When I was going through with my daughter, Mia, it was, it was difficult to find anything like that. So, uh, I decided to create a channel. The very first story that I did was, uh, Mia's story. And I actually did uh, the story with Caleb and I know you had Caleb here, which now the nonprofit organization, Caleb is actually the president of, uh, of the, the gold corner nonprofit organization. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, him and I go back since high school, literally high school. <laughs> I've known him since then. And so, yeah, I created the channel to to do that. The first story was my daughter's story. And then the next two or three were parents that I had uh, met through support groups. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I started getting parents, you know, wanting to share their story. Uh, our subscribers started growing, you know, our, our shares started growing. And, and uh, right now we're in season two. I started the channel in July of last year um 2020 and we uh we're in season two and i think we're about to uh, episode 12 already of season two so this is just a platform where parents can come and speak about their children whether they were already called home the ones that are currently fighting and i've even had some survivors actually the last story i did was a a girl who has her own nonprofit organization and she's a two-time childhood cancer survivor so i wanted to also do these how old is she and she's 30 actually she's 30 but she was diagnosed at the age of 10 and she and she fought it for about 11 years it wasn't until she was 21 that she was uh considered you know any d no evidence of disease and she was cancer free however this doesn't just 
go away like that. You right. know, you know, there's there's still uh, a lot of problems that you know physical problems that she still has right now so it's something that's gonna that affected her and you know all these other survivors that are going through it it, it's still gonna affect them so it's nothing that stops once they tell you it's cancer free so that's how i did the channel i got the name the gold corner because uh ricky and heather up in uh when they were doing the the fights in santa fe um they actually dedicated a night for my daughter and, you know, you have the red corner and the blue corner and they dedicated a corner to her. So it was a gold corner. Mm. So when I was looking for a name for the channel, I said, this would be perfect, you know, because these are children that are fighting. You know, we have their corner who are their parents, you know, the people behind him rooting him on. And that's how I came about with the gold corner. And now we're in season two for that. So it, that's what it is. Like I said, I wanted to create a platform and it's very therapeutic for a lot of parents to speak about their children and right. what they went through, because when you're going through the fight, everybody's there for you but you know if your child passes it seems that two three months afterwards that's it no one's there for you people probably don't even want out of respect or maybe because they don't know what to say they they just don't even ask you anymore so us as parents were like you know our child was alive you know right. they were alive they were here so we like to share our stories so i just wanted to create that platform where they can they speak their stories you know and, and they can tell people the cruel reality of what childhood cancer is and what these kids sure. have to go through. Unfortunately, there's a misconception that childhood cancer is a St. Jude commercial. You see these bald headed little kids laughing, playing around. And that is not the case. You know, that's probably about 10% of what happens. They don't see what happens to our kids after radiation, after chemo, when they're connected to continuous morphine, when they're giving drugs that would knock an adult out and they're still in pain. So I just kind of, I wanted to open the eyes of, of a lot of the viewers uh, to let them know what childhood cancer is. So childhood cancer only gets 4% funding. So 96% goes to adult cancer and 4% only goes to childhood what? cancer. Yeah. So our kids. That's so crazy. Are, I did not know that. Yeah. Only 4%. And so you'll hear a lot of these parents preach and everybody say more than four, more than fourth, because our children are wor worth more than 4%. And well, I think it should just be even across the board. Everybody's got the same value as a human. You, That's so crazy. You, you would think that, right? But no, 96 goes to that. So 1982 was the last time that they did anything to kind of tweak uh, chemo for childhood cancer. So our wow, children 82, are, 82 our 30 children years ago. are getting 30-year-old chemo. And Jesus. to make matters worse, there is no such thing as childhood chemo. They're getting adult chemo at a lower dose. What the fuck? Exactly. What's going on with that? Yep. People want to see or people want to think that it's rare. They think childhood cancer is rare. Uh, and it's really not. And, and you know, the government and, you know, they're sending millions and billions of dollars outside of the U.S. for other crap. And our children are here in the United States dying of cancer. How how did you discover this information? Where can somebody find it? Well, so this is something that, you know, what going through the journey that I was looking at other parents, it would it said, you know, more than four, more than four. And that's when I started doing the research oh. and talking to other parents. And they said, Yeah, you know, according to 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 this. And I mean, there's different websites that tell you exactly where the funding for cancer goes to, and only four percent goes to our children. 96 is for adult cancer. That that's just insane. Now there's one part of that that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me just because I'm not very educated on the topic. Mm -hmm. Isn't cancer funding 
cancer funding? Like, are do kids get afflicted with different cancers than adults? I mean, leukemia is leukemia, right? Like- leukemia is leukemia, and there's going to be all sorts of cancers, but there's a lot of cancers for childhood cancer that are not for adults. You know, for example, you get neuroblastoma, which is what my daughter was diagnosed with. Um, that is, you don't see that in adults. That's for children. Okay. So there are a lot of, and so there's basically no one working on that because the funding is so small. Correct. Yeah. And Jeez. it gets to the point where a lot of these doctors are, we can't do anything else or there's nothing else we can do, but not because they're bad doctors, but simply because there's no funding and for them to research everything. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, you know, there's there's good hospitals and bad hospitals, good doctors and bad doctors all over. Unfortunately, here, our local hospital actually ended up hurting Mia a lot more than helping her. Really? So she was misdiagnosed, misstaged. She was started off with the wrong chemo. Uh, So by the time we got to Fort Worth, it was uh, already a little bit too late. Oh, no. Yeah. And worst of all is uh, these doctors were lying about a lot of things. And I've, I've been working as a first assistant in surgery for going on 19 years now. And so I know the things that go on, but they didn't know that I was in the medical field and they still try to lie to me and tell me about a lot of things, but that's all with other legal issues that are going on right now. But yeah, they, my, my daughter, unfortunately was got, was hurt more than being helped here. locally. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of people, get caught up in the, and it really you're just, um, it's a matter of luck. Anytime you go to a hospital, mm-hmm. whether you get a, a doctor who knows what they're doing or somebody who's thorough enough, right. Or whether you get somebody who just, you know, just going into one room and onto the next room. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really just a matter of luck mm-hmm. and it's pretty crazy that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. Yeah. And you just hope that you never have to be in a hospital, but I mean, that's not reality. Exactly. People, people do end up there all the time. <laughs> our body's decaying as we're getting older, right? <laughs> or, you know, in some cases right after you're born. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're doing like a, uh, an extended support group for not just while people are going through that, that Correct. fight with their kids, but forever. Forever. Yes. And, you know, we do have, as far as the, uh, the nonprofit organization that we have, we're actually working right now uh, with my board of directors. So what we're trying to do is not just be one of these nonprofit organizations that raises money. You know, we're still going to raise money, uh, create um, uh, funds for families that are going through it. Because, I mean, once you get hit with childhood cancer, parents have to stop working. So, you know, the bills start piling up. So we're going to be working on doing fundraisers and grants oh. for these families. But another thing that we want to do is we want to create like a, a, a different portal in the nonprofit organization. So parents, cause I know it happened to me and it happens to every parent. I mean, when you have a child, you, you, you know, you don't think of these things. So when they tell you your child has cancer, what you want to do is you start, we want to start researching, right? You want right. to start seeing what is this cancer? What are the, uh, you know, the side effects, what, you know, this, even the survival rate, you know, it sucks, but you you're looking at the survival rate. So I want to create something to where nationwide, as soon as a child is diagnosed, a parent can go in there, look up the diagnosis and um, and be able to see in their area what's the best hospital for that diagnosis, who are the best doctors, which hospital has the best survival rate. That way it can all be in one area. That way they don't have to be searching. And if you're in Atlanta, if you're in Denver, if you're in El Paso, it'll tell you around, you know, your location, this is the best hospital for this diagnosis. This is this. So we want to go ahead and have all of that just kind of bring it together. So where they can 
initially, as soon as their di- their diagnosed, they can get to the correct place where they need to be. And we're also working to where if your PCP does not give you the referral that we, we could have doctors that will give you that referral to send you where you need to be. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, an amazing board of directors. Like I said, Caleb is my president. My vice president is uh, David Saucedo, who is the vice president for the Board of Nursing of the state of Texas. And he's local here. He's also from El Paso. And unfortunately, because um, of malpractice, his baby girl ended up passing away. Jeez. Malpractice here in town. So, you know, we're surrounded with so people. So basically, everybody, everybody who has a sick kid should get the fuck out of El Paso. Pretty much. Oh, my God. Pretty much. That is that is one thing I... <laughs> yeah. Jesus, man. So are you, are you involved in a legal battle right now at the hospital? I am. Really? Still? And it's been... Oh, yeah. Still. I mean, she passed away... 2018? 2018. So we're going on three years. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, we're, we're in a little legal battle with them because of, of what they did or right, what they try right. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's that's just so difficult. When you mentioned that parents have to stop working, a lot of people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason parents have to stop working is not just because they got to be there to provide care for the child, but because... The child's immunity is so compromised from the treatment that any germs that somebody that leaves, basically you're on quarantine, you're, you're social distancing, you're on quarantine because any germs or anything that you bring into the house could really have a, a hazardous impact on your child's health because their immunity is compromised. Yeah, that right. is correct. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, with this whole pandemic and how crazy it was, you know, with having to wear, wear a mask and quarantine, parents that have gone through kids, you know, with children with cancer, they've have to have lived this life. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've, they had to be there. The kids are wearing masks. My daughter was wearing masks and yeah, it's exactly because of that. You know, you don't want to bring something in because, you know, as it is their you know, their, their, their health is already kind of very thin line. So, right. you know, if a parent brings something in, yeah, it's, it's difficult. So yeah, you, you want to be able to stay there and not only that, but I mean, your children are going through chemo and radiation. And I remember Mia would be in pain even connected to continuous morphine and she would be in pain for six hours straight, Jeez. you know, and, and it's difficult. It's difficult to watch your child like that, but you know, I can't even imagine it, it, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It, it's, it's bad. It, it's bad. It's, it's something that, yeah. I mean, it's something that's just horrible. Honestly, yeah. what advice do you have for people who have lost a child and are just having a really difficult time moving on? Is this, is this YouTube channel something that's helping you? It's yeah. So, I mean, in terms of coping, it, it, it's helped with the healing process. Um, the only, the only problem, and I love doing this and I love, I mean, I have every day I have close to about 50 messages from parents, you know, reaching out to either, you know, for me to talk to them or just thanking me for the channel and thanking me for this and that, which is good. And I know that, you know, it's something that I promised God and I promised me I was going to do is continue to be a voice for these children. And it is difficult. It's, it's difficult. It's helped me in the healing process. It has. Um, but at the same time, every episode that I upload is reliving you know, right, things. Right. So uh, honestly, I'll do the interview through zoom and then I won't watch it again. I actually send it to Caleb and Caleb's the one that does all the editing and the pictures. Cause I don't want to be listening to it again. And then on Sundays, when I upload the story, I, I hear it again, but it is. So to answer your question, yes, it's been helpful for my healing process, but it's still kind of more than anything. It still angers me of, of, you know, again, the, the lack of funding and how our children are dying because of, 
you know, there's not enough that they can do for them, but uh, it, it's, it's helped out so many people. And even people that have perfectly healthy children have written to me and say, Joel, thank you. You've made my relationship with my kids stronger. You know, mm. now I know that how to cherish life and how to be there more for my kids. And uh, to answer your other question, what uh, the advice I give to other parents that, that have lost a child is that it's okay to be not okay. And this For is sure. the issue. This is the issue. This is the problem where I know at least the first year when Mia passed, I I, I was lost, man. I, I lost my passion for every, I lost my passion for refing. And, you know, refing for me was my, that's, that's my, my baby right there. I, that, you know, it's my therapy. And I lost my passion for that. And I, I had to come to the conclusion where, you know what, Joel, you're not going to be okay for the rest of your life. Your baby's gone. Your baby passed away, but you got to be okay with the fact that you're not going to be okay. Sure. And it was then that I realized, you know what? This is how life's going to be, unfortunately, you know? But I have to be okay with this. I have to make the best of what I have right now. I have to try and help out as many kids and parents that are going through the same thing or are going to go through the same thing. So the best advice that I can give parents is that it's okay to be not okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to question because, you know, your child's not here. Yeah. And so it's okay to have all these emotions. Definitely. I, I wonder though, if you're kind of in a way making yourself relive that trauma on a regular basis by doing what you're doing. I am. I am. I really am. But uh, at this point, uh, again, it's, it's, it's not about me anymore. Right. It's yeah, about you're on, you're on a kids. mission. I am. I'm totally on a mission. I'm focused to where even if it hurts me, you know, I, I need to be a voice and I need to still be a voice for these kids that don't have a voice. Right, man. Well, I mean, that's, I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that because it's for sure. It can't be easy. Not at all. <laughs> Jeez. Not at all. Now <clears throat> you, you mentioned God a minute ago and I know that you're religious and you said that you made God a promise that you were going to, you were going to continue this, this, uh, um, journey, this mission that you're on. <clears throat> I find it difficult to believe in a higher power that loves us, created us in the, in his image, etc. Um, that at the same time put something in this world that's as evil and hurtful as childhood cancer. How do you reconcile those two? So, and, and it's a question that I get a lot. I'm you sure. Know, I, I, I get this question so much because even now after my daughter passed, even after Mia having, I don't want to say lost her battle with cancer, but cancer took her. Um, people still ask me, how can you still preach? How can you still talk about this? Uh, well, first of all, I, I don't preach religion because in my opinion, religion divides people. And, and that is my opinion right there. I think it's about a relationship with, with God or a relationship with what makes you feel comfortable. You know what I mean? I, it, when you start talking about religion and I'm this and I'm that, it, it, it'll start dividing people. So how, how, how has that affected me? Well, you know, growing up, I, I was a, a youth pastor for a while. And so I would preach, you know, and I was already a motivational speaker prior to even, you know, having gone through this with Mia. So it is hard and it's difficult, you know, 
and and it's happened to a lot of parents that have said, you know what, I I I, I lost my faith in God. I, I I you know the same thing. God would not allow for this to happen to children. Unfortunately, bro, we are in a world that is full of hate, that is full of sin, that is full of free will. And that is what God has given us, free will, to be able to do whatever we want. I mean, pretty much basically it. So I still have, and it was my upbringing, you know, I still have that faith to where God allows things to happen, but there is a purpose behind all this. And if if I had never gone through it, I would not have the purpose or the passion or the drive to be able to help other children and other people going through the same thing. I would have continued living my life and continued working in surgery, continued refing, continued doing this. But I think that God not only let me hold one of his more beautiful angels in my arms for almost three years, but he has given me this task. And I believe in eternity. I believe that, you know, if, if, following God and following his word, I will be able to see my daughter again and I will be able to be with her. So God does allow things to happen in this world because he wants us to turn to him. He wants us to ask for help because these are things that we cannot do on our own. You know, the relationship with God is the only thing right now that has kept my sanity at least a little bit and at times because a lot of times I've lost it, right? I lose it all the time. I'll hear a song that triggers me. I'll see something that triggers me. I mean, I, I live right down the street and Mia's body is buried about a quarter mile from where I live. I mean, it's hard not to be there every day, you know, crying. But you go you go visit her grave every day? Just about. Just about. It's not as bad anymore. I, I kind of toned it down a little bit, but I used to be there every day. And I know... People tell me it's not healthy. People tell me this. People tell me that. But I'm only a little over two years out. You know, I, 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 I don't. People can't tell me how to grieve. Sure, sure. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm grieving. You got to do. You got to need to. Yes. Yeah, but it, it's hard, man. It's hard. I and, and even up until now, I, I still can't. You know, my brother, Steve-O, he just had his baby and, you know, well, about a year ago. And, and my other brother, Jesse, he has kids that are around Mia's age. It's still difficult for me to go to a birthday party. I can it's totally still difficult for me to, I mean, Steve-O, bro, I, I mean, I hold his little girl and I love that little girl. And it, But, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to be there for so much because I can't hold my own little girl. Sure. You know, so it's still difficult to do that. It's still difficult to hear the happy birthday song. Holidays, I don't do. And my family's very respectful for that. You know, they know I won't do Thanksgiving. I won't do Christmas uh, because I, I just, I'm not ready for that right now. Okay. And those days I, I'm at the cemetery, you know, and there's some tough days that I get off of work uh, after a long 10, 12 hour shift. And I just go to the cemetery and I, I, I stay there and, you know, that's like my little place to to, to relax, you know, even though I know she's not there, she's with me everywhere I go. It's just that maybe I, I connect with that being the last place I ever saw her. I guess if that makes sense, you know, before she was actually buried. Um, 
but yeah, again, you know, people tell me, you know, that's not healthy for you. You're not letting her rest. You're not, I'm like, you know, I'm grieving the way I need to grieve. Right. right. You know, you can't, you can't tell me how, especially when somebody that hasn't gone through it tells me that it's like, I, you can't, (laughs) you know, you can't tell me you can't relate. So you can't tell me. And I try to be very respectful when people tell me that, but, but yeah, so that's that's my input of that brother and and you know it, it hasn't you know it, it did make me at times question but you know i i it's a promise that i that i made god and i said i told god i said no matter the outcome you know when mia was diagnosed no matter what outcome i'm still gonna keep my faith and still be able to preach and still be able to talk about you know god being good you know, and well, see uh, that again, that's the part that I have a difficult time with mm-hmm. God being good, like good and evil. Those are, those are difficult things to talk about because right. first of all, they're not physical concepts. They're Correct. illusory moral concepts that don't exist in nature. Mm-hmm. And when I look at something like, like what, what you've gone through and are still going through every day, um, and you talk about free will and sin and all that. And I get it for me and you. I don't get it for a two-year-old. Yeah. I mean, these are kids that that all they know what to do is be kids. Right. They don't like know when right somebody, from wrong. When somebody talks about the original sin, I tell them I look at like a one-year-old or a two-year-old baby. And I go, what have they done wrong? Yeah. And they go, oh, it's the original sin. I'm like, listen, you can't like that 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 really irritates me people talk about the original sin i'm like if my dad goes and kills somebody i don't go to prison my kids don't go to prison forever because my dad committed a crime because adam and eve um violated whatever god wanted them to do Mm -hmm. now forever all of us all of humanity is doomed and we're all born sinners and subject to things like being diagnosed with cancer at two years old. Yeah. And that's, again, it's a difficult, that's, that's a, that's a, a difficult one. It's a very difficult subject. It's a very touchy subject and people are always going to have different opinions on things, you know? Um, I'm just, again, I'm just telling you what has worked for me and what has been able to keep me going right now, you know? Uh, and of course, going for, for what I learned and when I became an ordained minister and everything that, that I was able to learn while there, I, I took the things that, I, I knew we're good from there. And there's some things obviously that are being taught, like as in every religion that you're going to agree with and you're not going to agree with, you know, but when it comes to the bottom line it is we have to be good people. bro. I mean, we, we have to be good people. We have to help Correct. our brother, our sister. And it's again, I, when people ask me to speak, I'm like, I, what, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't speak religion. You know, I, I, I don't, it, it's just going to divide us. And it's going to make us argue. So why not just be good? I, I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Why not be good? It sounds to me like your religion is more of a way to, or the way you, you, the way you approach your faith is something that sort of keeps you connected to your daughter. Correct. Yes, it, it is. It really is. And I actually just came back from a, a, a retreat in Florida. I was in Pensacola and it's, it's uh, for parents that, uh, have lost a child. Um, most of us there, and it was only six of us, five of us there were because of cancer, one because of an accident. But it was just, uh, again, they, they did the same thing. It was just kind of a place to make you feel comfortable. You know, it's, 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 it was for, 
not really religious based, but uh-huh. you know, they did have people come and talk to you and pray with you if you needed it. You know, they had some people there, counselors if you needed to speak to them. But yeah, to me, that's what has still kept me connected. And right you on. know, when I pray, I pray and then I'll talk to Mia as if she's right there next to me. You know, and, and that's that to me has been helpful as far as you know my my peace for for me to to kind of be okay or as okay as I can be right now. Yeah, it really is a, a difficult thing to, a, it's a very difficult balancing act between when you see a loved one suffering and you see the hurt and the evil in the world, and then you still want to maintain your faith of like, there's a God who created us, who loves us and wants the best for us and has given us the choice to be saved. That one, that one's another one that gets me. I grew up in a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. I went to Catholic schools. I went to church every week. Like I, I, I experienced all that stuff. Yeah. And then I got to a point where I was like, what's really going on here? This just, this seems like there's another piece of the puzzle that people aren't telling me about. Mm -hmm. Like there's another side to this coin, right? Like everybody talks about the good and the getting saved and the going to heaven and happily ever after, but nobody talks about the actual evil that's in the world. Mm -hmm. And I've just, that's when I started to, to, to question things. And I'm like, well, okay. You like, you want to give God credit for all the beautiful things that you see, Nobody gives them, no, nobody gives them credit, I guess, also for, for all the stuff that we see that we don't like all the, all the, all the evil, all the, you know, and I I feel like it's either he's accountable for everything or nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You ever think about that? I've thought about that. I I have. And and again, to me with what, at least what I learn you know growing up and and uh, we we spoke about this right now it, it's the free will and you know even when is I there go, free will though there is what happened to thy will be done good one doesn't doesn't god have um like some people believe in determinism that god has your life laid out he, right. al- he already knows what's going to happen to you right um actually this is a, a, a deep philosophical question there's is. been some philosophers that, that have contemplated this over the years mm-hmm free will versus determinism. Like, do you actually, am I actually making this decision right now in my mind to drink this water or did God already decide since the inception of time that in this moment I was going to drink this water and my thought to do so just coincides with his planning. Mm -hmm. That's an age old question. That is, that is, it's, and it's an interesting question. It's, it's, it's one that I kind of want to look into it a little bit more. Are you it's familiar a, with uh, the uh, philosopher Simon Laplace? No. So he's got this, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's not a theory because it's not testable scientifically. It's, it's, he, he, what he proposed is that to somebody with information, the world does not seem random. right? So he's, he's invoking God in this argument. So if I take a shot of pool and... Uh, to somebody who doesn't understand geometry and physics and has no idea how hard I hit that cue ball, they're going to look at the, how the pool balls bounce around the table, and to them it's going to seem completely random. Mm-hmm. But to somebody who has information, they've already calculated exactly where each ball is going to land. And so you extrapolate that concept and you say, okay, God took the greatest pool shot ever, and all we are, all of our decisions to do the things that we do are just a, a sequence of pool balls hitting one another. And so if you told him, uh, that philosopher, Simon Laplace, if you told him like, well, it's my decision to drink this bottle of water, he goes, no, it's not. Because 
he can see the pool balls bouncing around your mind, so to speak. It makes sense. That's a good analogy. I, that that's uh, that's something very interesting. That's that's kind of cool, though. I don't buy it. <laughs> right? No, but it's it's a good it's a good way of of seeing things if you're if you're looking at it from that perspective. Um, again, with the analogy of how hard you hit the ball and how you've calculated already that. So, okay, all right, that's that's an interesting yeah, one to you look can, into. If you can calculate everything, the circumference of the ball, mm. its weight, the friction on the felt, the air resistance, everything, the power by which you're going to hit the ball. If you had an infinitely precise calculator, you can you can predict exactly where each ball is going to land. And it would take God to do that. A human can't accomplish this. Right. And so the universe is already set. Our decisions to do the things that we do, whether I whether I go marry somebody and become the best husband ever, or I go rape somebody and go to jail, it's that's already been decided. That's already been decided. And, and I don't know about that. To- I don't know about that because it removes the human element. It does. So exactly. It it it'll it'll go to that point to where why are we even here? Or why are we even doing this? You know, um, interesting, interesting point, Jamal. Uh, some th- some of the things I think about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it all started with with just questioning. Because again, growing up, growing in a religious, growing up in a religious family, that was just what I was taught. I right. never, I never questioned it mm-hmm. until I reached a certain point where I started seeing people I care about getting sick. I started seeing things like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a relative who was born, you know, was taken straight out of the womb into the surgery room. And I went to the children's hospital. And when I was walking through there, looking around at all the sick kids, I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, there's, there's another side that they're not telling me at church. There's something that's not <laughs> making sense from. <laughs> and then, and then they blame it on original sin. And I'm like, man, that's, I can't accept that I'm responsible for something that Adam and Eve did. Right. I just, I, it's hard for me to, 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 to accept that it's like what about individuality correct right what about free will mm-hmm. and and yeah i mean you're absolutely right it, it's not until you're you're in that situation or where you're faced with a situation to see okay everything that i've learned is what are they just are they are they just like motivational speakers yeah exactly right you know right yeah so yeah no absolutely i mean absolutely and, and sometimes you wonder somebody like ted bundy did he ever have a choice? Did he ever have free will? Because we know from we know uh, psychopathic behavior has to do with damage to the frontal lobe, right? And so, if you're born with um, with whatever it is that causes those types of behaviors, I mean, for somebody to go kill someone, return to the body three days later in the woods and have sex with it, something's broken right. in the brain. And so, did that guy have a choice? Right. That's another thing I think about. Right. Yeah. I mean, you see all these, uh, you know, just watching their our hometown guy, Richard Ramirez, you know, the, even the same thing, the, uh, the night stalker. Mm. You know, yeah. A serial killer. The serial killer. In yeah. El Paso. He was, uh, he was from here. He graduated from Jefferson. Oh, I didn't know. And he's about the that. one that did all those killings in California. It's actually, there's a, uh, his things on Netflix right now. His really, his, yeah. And he did the same thing. I mean, he was killing people, killing children, having sex with them you know, and, and doing all these things. And, and you're right. I mean, where, where, what happened there? Where did that start? Something you know? snapped, something snapped, something snapped. And, you know, what did they see growing up? Is there something that was done to them? It was just something, but yeah, you, you, 
you tend to think of what actually led to them making that decision. And I mean, obviously any murder is bad, but a murder that you did once because of anger or whatnot. Okay. But if you keep committing and committing and then still doing all these acts yeah. after that, that's yeah, that right there is not well. <laughs> that's, that's a, a behavior that that's just what you do. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, I think when you talk about like being good, cause it's good to be good. I agree with that. And I think that's a human concept and, that, and I don't, I, I really don't want to turn this into a religious argument, but these are just the things that I think yeah. about. And you're somebody who's well studied in that area. And so it's, it's good to have this conversation with you. I don't think you need religion to be a good person. Some people say that you, that you do. And, and I think like you were going to love your daughter and do everything for her, whether you were religious or not. Yeah. That's just who you are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And, Again, it goes back to do unto others, right? As that saying yeah, goes. That's to to me. I've said this on the podcast before. That's if we gathered all the religious books from every religion ever and ripped out all the pages and just wrote one sentence in there. That's it. Treat others like you want to be treated. Exactly. And that's all any religion needs. Yeah, we're, we're good. I mean, it, that that would solve a lot of things, <laughs> right? That right. would solve. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, we yeah we'd see a, a lot less of everything that's going on. Right. Except now, if man. you're into. Um, S and M, you might go around torturing people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That because right, you want that be, to be done to you, right? Because <laughs> you want to be whipped. <laughs> you want to be whipped and yeah, choked. A lot of people will not like that to, for you to do that to them. <laughs> yeah, I get you. <laughs> so you see yourself doing this gold corner thing forever, or um, you haven't thought about that? You're just taking it day by day. Um, I no, I, I think this is something that I'm going to do. You know, for for from now on until. I'm reunited with my baby girl again because I, I see the the I see the necessity there and I see that something has to be done for these right. kids. And you know, not this has nothing to do again at this point. There's nothing about religion, nothing about that. It's just getting these kids the best treatment possible and to give them the best chance of living and going through this, you know. So this is something that yeah, this is something that I, I promised myself too that I was always going to do. So this is, okay. yeah, this is, I'm very passionate about this right now. Okay. Okay. Now, what about refereeing? That's another thing you're passionate about. At a different kind, in a different way, I would say, but that's one of the things that you love to do. And you said you took a while off from that after your daughter died. And then, um, did you did you go because last year you didn't ref at all? No, there was actually the only fights that were happening were you know the couple of ones in Vegas and then everything in Abu Dhabi. Um, right. So right. yeah, it, it's not until now that it's starting to pick up. So again. you basically been out of the cage for a couple of years? Uh, no, actually, well, the last fight that I did was um, I did an LFA in Albuquerque. LFA, that, LFA, and that was in March of last what, year. What's the what does that stand for? The Legacy Fighting Alliance. Okay, that's the one that um, I think it was RFA and LFC kind of joined together. Okay, yeah, that's with a uh, Pat Militech. Now, how long have you been doing this for? It's been like eight years. It's been seven years now. So okay. I I got accepted into Herb Dean's uh, school in 2014. So can you tell people how that whole thing works? Like if somebody wants to become an MMA referee, how yeah. did you do it? Well, okay. So as far as me, man, I, I, you know, I, I grew up doing martial arts. I mean, I, I, you know, trained with you back in the yep. day. I was a part of the, you know, the um, sub grappling district transcendence, all that coming yep. up. And 
but you know, at that point I was refing um, football. I did football, high school football for a while. And I even did uh, two years of junior college football. And, and, you know, just once I started getting a little bit more into MMA and started training a little bit more, I was, I was like, man, this would be cool. I wonder what it takes, you know, to be an MMA ref. And that's when I started looking around and it said that in 2014, there was three schools that were offering uh, to be an MMA referee. And that was Big John McCarthy, who has his uh, school in Los Angeles, uh, Herb Dean in Pasadena, and Dan Mergliata in New Jersey. And all of those are great refs. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I mean, pioneers. I mean, yeah. definitely top five. And I started looking at the requirements to be able to, to, to be a referee. And they said, well, you know, you have to have at least uh, a blue belt or blue belt knowledge in BJJ. Okay. Um, still continue to be training. And at this time, I actually, you know, I had uh, Mondo and, uh, and and Professor Jeff actually, you know, do a, a re referral for me because they just don't want to say, yeah, I trained this place and that place. They actually want to know that you do. Okay. So, and then, you know, passing your background check and all of this, and they only accept 20 students. Each one of the academies only accepts 20 students a year. Oh, wow. That's it. And they do the course once a year. And is um, there, are these the only academies that you can go through to become a referee? To become ABC certified referee, yes. And and I'll get to the two different one or the two different ways of doing it. Um, so to be able to be ABC certified, you have to go through one of these. You get certified by whichever referee, and then at that point, you don't automatically start working. You have to go to whatever state commission. And say, I got my ABC certification from Herb Dean. And what, I, Real quick, what does ABC stand for? The Association of Boxing and Combative Sports okay. Commission. Okay. Yeah. So that is, uh, those are the ones that regulate and sanction uh, almost every event. Okay. Um, and, you know, we have a website and it'll tell you the referees that are there. And right now, I think the last time as of, as of two years ago, there was only 28 of us uh, ABC certified nationwide. And that's including Herb Dean, Jason Herzog. So all these big shots that you see, there's only 28 of us um, that are ABC certified to ref fights. So after you finish that, if you pass, and the passing rate's only 50%. So out of the really? 20, only 10 are going to pass. Oh, wow. And out of those 10, so in 2014, 20 of us went, only 12 of us graduated, and only myself and one other referee are currently still working right now. So once you actually have that and the state gives you a chance, that doesn't mean they're going to continue because you can make a mistake. You could have done everything good to pass the course, but yet you're not that good in the cage. Right, right. You know, and right. they just kind of start weaving you off. And what do you have to do to pass the course? So the course is... Aside a, from knowing the rules. Well, yeah. So you go through all the rules and obviously you go through testing, but then you get into the actual physical part of it. So you go through like a little, you know, physical activities, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're okay. Cause you obviously you got to be healthy to be in there. Yeah. And then this is where it gets, uh, this is where it, it, they don't tell you this when you go there, this is kind of like a little surprise that they get you is so Herb Dean brings in about seven or eight BJJ black belts and he gets all 20 of you. And he's like, all right, you know, either Joel and so-and-so come here. Get in front of me. Okay, Joel, you're going to be uh, on offense first. You're going to show me uh, three chokes. Um, you're going to tell me what they're called. You're going to tell me what you're targeting and tell me exactly what you're doing as you're doing it. Mm. I mean, dude, you're in front of 
black belt BJJ guys. And it's kind of like, I'll fuck them up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nerve wracking, man. It's, it's really so. And then same thing. Okay. Give me uh three, I don't know, arm submissions. Tell me what they're called. Same thing. Uh-huh. And then, all right, now you're in the bottom. Tell me how you're going to defend. I would get in trouble because I don't know what anything's called. I just, I just do things. <laughs> I don't know the names. And you see, so Herb, Herb, you went through, I mean, I, I never went through John's course. I got accepted into Herb Dean, but John's course, they say, is way harder. And he actually wants you to call them by their Japanese name or oh, that geez. name. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. That, I Big mean, John? Yeah, Big John. He was a police officer, right? He was a police officer in LA, and that's when he came on board. I think it was UFC three or four, some one of those three. I know he wasn't in one or two, and that's when he came in as a referee. And then later on, when they started doing all the rules, he's the one that actually came up with with the rules himself. So yeah, so he wrote the rules. But so you have to you have to show that you know all the moves. And that that makes a lot of sense because you have to understand when a fighter is in danger or not. Right, yeah. Especially and- in the amateur ranks. You got all these idiots that just don't want to <laughs> tap out and elbows get snapped and shoulders get torn. Yeah, and, and this is this is one thing as a referee, you know, anywhere that you work, any referee that's going to work, um, we, we're well, we are well aware of that. So in the amateurs, when we do amateur fights, we tell them in the rules meeting, and and I think you've cornered or you've been in the back maybe when when we're doing I've, rules meeting. Yeah, I've been in the back. Well, I've had three cage fights, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, we'll tell you. Um, you know, if you're caught in a submission, if you start grunting or or yelling, or we're gonna consider that a verbal submission. You know. Really? Yeah. That's how it is. Now there's a difference with. Uh, do you getting do you, out of it and ah, uh, you know? But do you take into consideration um, the integrity of the joints? Yes. Like if you're in an arm lock, somebody might be grunting, but their elbows not fully, oh, yeah. not fully extended. And that is where that training comes in. Okay. If you are defending it, then and you're well aware, at least the blue belt knowledge, then you're aware that of, of how you defend it. If you get a referee that doesn't know and you see the arm, and even if the arm's like this, but he's it going into an armbar, any referee is going to stop that. It's it's knowing uh, that you've you know if you've trained in the sport that you're aware of that, and that's what where you make your determination. Obviously, it's going to be up to the referee to do that. But again, you get a lot of amateurs that are that just want to be show offs. But and a lot of these managers are going sure. to work on Monday or Sunday the following yes. day, or even that night they got the graveyard shift. So you you're looking after fighter safety. Yeah. And that is where a lot of people and uh, Mark, Mark Goddard, very good friend of mine, he did this thing and I'll send it to you uh, so you can check it out. And he talks about, gives you a little bit more of an insight of what we do and what we look for. You know, fighter safety is obviously going to be our number one priority. When you stop a fight, half the people are going to like you, half the people are going to hate sure. you. People want to see blood. People want to see guts. People want to see arms hanging. But it's it's not about that. You know, it's it's the fighter safety. And once you wave your hand at that point, you can't unwave it. So once you wave your hand, the fight right. is over. So at that point, I mean, it's. Well, it's- see, like in the case of uh, Robbie Lawler, Ben Astrin. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Frustrating, right? Right. Super difficult stoppage. Um, from all the angles that I saw the fight, I've asked myself a million times, if I was that referee, would I have stopped it? And to me, the answer is yes. Yes. 
You would have stopped it too? I would have. I would have. Now, those are the most, the blind chokes, the ones where, you, where you're caught either up against the cage or somewhere where your body's still somewhat standing. Um, and, and obviously well, he was, he was on well, a knee, he was I on think. his knees, but he was, you know, he wasn't flat and, and Ben wasn't letting him go flat, obviously, because uh-huh. he was holding him up, but I, I would have stopped it. Why? Because that arm, the arm gave yes. us that muscle that, that, cause they tell you to look at the muscles. If you can't see the eyes rolling back or you can't see a tap or they can't tap, you know, as you're like this and you kind of see the muscles kind of relax, that's your heads up as far as, Hey, they're out, uh-huh. you know, but that arm did it for me. I think that was Lawler's uh, grave error is, yeah. He that arm the way he was up here, and then he just, mm-hmm. it just it just flopped like yeah. it just fell like somebody just fainted, and their arm there was no it just fell like yeah it free fell, and then as soon as he let him out we could see that Robbie Lawler was not was still conscious right he had not gone to sleep, but he behaved as if he did, and so at first I was like I was really confused I went back and watched it like ten times from every different angle that was available, and I was like. Somebody at Robbie Lawler's level should have known better Mm -hmm. than to drop his arm as if he fainted. Yeah. And so ultimately, I think it was on him. But Herb Dean did definitely catch a lot of shit for it. Maybe just for for a minute. Herb Dean is just so damn good, man. Like nobody ever really um, calls him out on anything. He like there's been a lot of referees. Did you 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 asked him when you met him when you went to his academy? There was a couple of fights that you asked him about. I think asked him about. I think one was the Uriah versus somebody uriah faber ah, i'm trying to think you asked him about a couple of stoppages i did, I, I did ask him about you remember? a couple of stoppages it's been so long ago it, it, yeah it's i mean so it's long. been 2000 yeah it's been seven years that i probably don't remember but i, I yeah. remember asking him a couple of questions and his explanations on things are 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 well within the abc guidelines you know of what we have to do now keep in mind we're human and we're gonna make mistakes you know there's there's things and the angles, I mean, sometimes the angles are, mm. are bad and you get fighters yeah. that maybe, may uh, okay, a, a couple of things could have happened. Either Robbie was really going out and when when you stopped it, of course, maybe Ben left and, and he came back too yeah, quickly. Maybe. So that could have been one thing. So he maybe he would have been out. Maybe he was trying to play possum so... Ben can see that the arm was down and he would let go. We, I mean, you have you know the Brazilian tap, right? You know, no. so what's the Brazilian? The tap? Brazilian tap is something that fighters try to get away with. So, uh, and that's that's try to happen. That, <laughs> they tried to get one past me on uh, one time. Is that what Chael Sonnen did against Anderson Silva the yes, first time? That okay. is the Brazilian like tap. you kind of like tap, but you don't make it obvious so you can refute it. Correct. Yes, uh. and um, or either that, <laughs> or they're seeing the referee, and once the referee gets to an angle. They'll quickly tap so the guy can let go, but oh. the referee didn't see it. So that's what they—that's what we call the Misha Brazilian Tate, tap. Rousey. Yeah. Why do they call it the Brazilian tap? I have no clue, but that is what it's <laughs> called. That is what it's called. I, I'm I'm guessing in all those BJJ tournaments, that's where it kind of came came from. But you know, but that's so dirty. It is. Oh, it is. And like I said, they tried to do that to me one time, and and I called them out and. Uh, yeah, they, they try to dispute the stoppage and it even went to to the commission, but the commission said no, you know, and, and luckily there was Got a camera. Well, yes, there was camera angles, but he was up against the cage. And when I try to go from this side of the cage to the other, he knew I was going around. And then that was that split second that I went behind him. He tried to do that. 
but I quickly caught him doing that. And luckily for me, one of the judges was right there. And as soon as I turned to the judge, he nodded his head. So it's kind of like those little signs that we give each other with other people that are working also. So, but yeah, that's the Brazilian tap. So a lot of people try to do that. So I don't know if that was his, it wasn't a tap, but his way of kind of, if he did that, maybe Ben's side. But again, somebody at that level and even, you know, know any fighter, we tell him, hey, you don't stop until the referee comes in there and and stops it, you know, touches you and stops it. So, and he owned it right away. Robbie Lawler, he owned it right away. He took it like a man. He's like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Yeah. I should not have done that. Yeah. And see those. Those are the difficult things as a referee. Sure. What we call the blind chokes to where you can't see the arms. You can't see. I mean, well, you can see the arms, but you can't see the hands. You can't see the eyes rolling back. And you got to make sure that, that they don't die. You put, you keep that choke on after somebody's unconscious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They might die or get or go brain dead. Oh, go brain dead. Exactly. So you kind of, well, again, fighter safety. So, uh, but that's always going to be the difficult one. And, you know, they teach you, look at the muscles as well. The back muscles, if they're still like that and they kind of relax, but uh, it, it's, it's still hard. It, it's, you know, it's hard. Well, sometimes the angles are so tricky mm-hmm. um, with ankle locks, especially it's really difficult Yeah. with things like Kimura's and arm bars. You can tell for the most part, unless like, but look, some people have really weird joints. Oh yeah. Like I'm sure you have, I know definitely I have a number of times grappled with people where I'm like, why is he not tapping this arm bar? It makes no sense. Like I've got the elbow all the way extent, hyper extended. And Mm -hmm. they're just looking at me like, like I'm an idiot. (laughs) Like (laughs) Like you're burning yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, this person is just not going to tap to this arm bar. And I feel like maybe that's something fighters should notify the ref of before the fight. Like, hey, man, I got weird elbows. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. I get armbarred, just don't stop it. Yes and no. Um, you know, I, I always, especially when I do pro fights, we go over the rule meetings and then I'll always go and speak to the fighters individually. And I'll talk to the fighters in their corner and I'll tell them, you know what? Um, we, we did the rules meeting. Everybody was there. But here I'm talking to you one-on-one. Is there anything you need to talk to me, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, that you don't want your opponent or their coaches to hear anything? And, you know, you 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 tend to know which which fighters bleed real easily. You tend to know which fighters Diaz with brothers. a scar tissue. The Diaz brothers, you know, and not just because they're bleeding means, you know, they got it's just that they've been in the game and they have so much scar tissue that if you even look at them bad. They're going to bleed. So there's there's a, a lot of those fights. And I've had a lot of. <laughs> I've had Randy, every time I, I ref him, Randy McCarty, he, uh, you know, he'll tell me, hey, hey, bro, he goes, just make sure I'm completely out before you stop the fight. <laughs> yeah. And then I had uh, Tony Lopez, who ran Tony's records like like 75 and 30 or something like Se- that. What? Oh, no, this guy's had well over 100 pro fights. And what those are the, the ones hell? that are, yeah, Tony Lopez. That's insane. Tony Where Lopez, does he fight? Out he of? is from California. He's an independent fighter, but he was the uh, king of the cage heavyweight champ for for a long time. A hundred and five fights. He, uh, well pro. over a hundred pro fights, and oh those are God. the ones that are on Sheer Dog and all these. I mean, I'm sure right. he's had a lot more a that were not sanctioned fights. You know? Um, yeah, like like about not even that long ago, ten to fifteen years ago, there was a lot of that. I know a bunch mm-hmm. of guys who fought in just little shows oh, here yeah. and there there was no commission there was no anything they just put on shows yeah and i think that happened even not too long ago uh like right before covid hit i knew that there were some fights uh 
some underground fights here in El Paso. And they even asked me, hey, do you want to come in and work? And I'm like, no. If they even <laughs> you could use you lose your license. Oh, for no. It? If they even see me there, if somebody snaps a picture and sends it to oh. ABC, I, yeah, I, my license is, is done. And that's a lifetime ban. So I would never be able to rev. So, so the, the licensing still takes place under the boxing commission. There's not an MMA commission. Correct. No. So it's, it's, it's all the same. So the ABC um, license. It's a monopoly. Yeah. Boxing and MMA. So they do both. And now they're actually adding the bare knuckle also as well to that. Really? Yeah. So there's actual sanctioned bare knuckle fights. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where the, is the, that? The, the bare knuckle FC. I know that sanctioned. that just happened. Oh, I've in, heard of that. Yeah. And, uh, in Florida, I think uh, about three or four months ago, but yeah, that's being sanctioned now too. See bare knuckle. The thing about bare knuckle is there's pros and cons like mm -hmm. with everything. The pros are people can't just bomb their, their opponents like they do when they have wraps and right. gloves. And so that's, I think that's a good thing because it makes people have to be more selective with their shots. More they have to be a lot more careful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Shot selection is huge oh, when, yeah. when you're, when you're bare knuckle, cause you could easily break your hand, break your thumb. Um, you gotta be very careful, break your wrist. And then I think you would see a much more advanced ground game if there was no gloves and no wraps. Mm -hmm. The wraps are the big thing really, because they, they lock your wrist down to yeah. where your wrist doesn't bend anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you could really drop some bombs on somebody. And so what happens in MMA when somebody gets the back 90% of the time, that's it. Yeah. Not because of ground fighting skill, but because you're behind someone and you just start dropping huge shots on the side of their head and mm -hmm. the fight's over. You can't do that with bare knuckle. You're going to break your hands. You, oh, might, yeah. you might get away with a punch or two, but if you're, a, if you don't knock them out with those couple punches, your hand is broken. And now you got to fight with a broken hand. The downside to bare knuckle is people are going to be getting cut like that. Yeah. Knuckle against cheekbone. Mm -hmm. This opens up right away. Yeah. Eyebrow opens up right away. And so then you're going to have a lot of stoppages from cuts. And that's not really great for the sport either. I think the best combination will probably be some sort of happy medium, like a thin glove, just enough to give the knuckles some padding so that they don't cut you easily, but no wraps. Mm-hmm. Because the wraps, that's what, yeah. like, dude, I, I mean, have you ever been wrapped? Yes. <laughs> you get wrapped and you feel like your hand, like you could punch through a wall. Yeah. And it's like a guy like Francis Ngannou uh -huh. with, with, with wraps on, I mean, geez, man, he's already so powerful. And then he could put that much more power behind his punches because his hands are so protected. And it's dangerous. And it's like, what are we trying to, they go, oh, we want to protect the fighters from breaking their hands. Well, why don't you try to protect the fighters from breaking their brains? Yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree. And, and that, that whole bare knuckle thing is, you know, a lot of people are, are saying, oh, yeah, it's a, it's like when, when MMA first kind of came, they were like, oh, my God. And it was, man. You know, I mean, the rules for UFC one was, I think, like, no eye gouging and no hair pull. No, not even <laughs> hair pulling. I think there was, like, two. Growing strikes were allowed. Hair pulling was, I think it was, like, no eye gouging and no biting. There was, there was guys in there with wrestling shoes and geese. And <laughs> What's that guy with one boxing glove? Uh, what i didn't know about that. yeah he fought a uh, hoist i think that was hoist's first it was this uh this so he had a boxing glove one, and an mma glove no no one boxing glove and that's it oh really nothing nothing <laughs> in the other hand and his strategy was that's i'm gonna hilarious. grab you with his hand and punch you with a boxing glove oh my god yeah that's hilarious. That, that was like ufc one or two um but yeah i mean there were people <laughs> fighting i mean hoist you know fought with a gi you know so yeah you yeah. have all these different things but um, but then it slowly started getting to where it is, what it is now. And, and people don't understand. They're like, well, yeah, even now people think, 
say, you know, MMA is too rough of a sport and, you know, boxing is better because it is. Okay. It's completely different. In my opinion, you know, boxers, great fighters, but how many, what's the percentage of all these boxers that are coming off the street and learning how to box? When you get an MMA fighter, you know they've trained in martial arts, and it's all about respect. You know, it's about respecting your opponent. I know there's going to be a couple of other things, but in my opinion and what I've seen, because I actually judged a couple of boxing fights when I first started because I wanted to do both, and I just my love for boxing just wasn't there to where I wasn't even enjoying it. So I I, I stopped doing that. But, you know, MMA, you, you, the fighters, for the most part, are a lot more respectful than boxers are. And even the crowds are different. Even the crowds are way different because if somebody goes and sees an MMA fight, it's probably because they've also trained. So they know, you know, about the the, the respect that there is there. Um, I don't know about that's, that, dude. Well, there's some, there's some, there's some rough ones. Some knuckleheads in the crowd. Yeah. There's always like a group of guys. There's, there's, there's one guy who's a hundred <laughs> pounds overweight. And he's done two weeks of jujitsu and he's there like, he, you know, he took all his friends and he's the expert, you know, he's over there like, oh yeah, that's a, that, that's a single leg. That's a single leg. And everybody's like, oh my God, this, oh, this guy trains. Yeah. yeah. And see, that's, that's, that's why, that's why I can't go watch a fight at a Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh yeah, me too. That is the worst thing. I mean, you know, both my brothers train and, um, and the coach. So watching the fights with him, it's, it's a lot better sure because you know that when you're dissecting the fight you're actually talking to people that know but i mean you you go and to a buffalo wild wings and you start getting all these people once you get alcohol in them and, oh yeah, yeah you know get up get up and they start and thinking that they're anderson silva oh or yeah. Something. yeah 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 so i've seen a lot of that that's why i can't, I can't do fights like that anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's all good but it's a lot of fun man i i've thought about shit dude i've been thinking about getting my uh refereeing license ever since you did it yeah and i still have yet to get around to it it's just always kind of this thing it's it's well there's two parts to it on one side i'm positive that i would have a great time doing it on the other side i don't want that all that responsibility it's a lot of responsibility i don't want to have to spend the rest of my life thinking shit man should i have stopped that robbie lawler fight should i have stopped that you know, whatever Diaz Masvidal. Well, that was a doctor's stoppage, actually. Yeah, that was. That was um, you know, whatever. Like, there's. Was that a Brazilian tap? Was that a real tap? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, there's so much. There's so much on the line for these fighters. I don't want to have to be the guy that just stopped the fight prematurely, and you know, this dude just lost his home because he he didn't get that paycheck. Yeah, it's it, just it, there's a lot that I think about. It's and it's a lot. It really is a lot of responsibility and. Especially when you get, you know, an eight and zero fighter against a ten and zero fighter, Ooh. you know someone's, you know, record's gonna yes have one loss after that fight. So those are the fights you, I mean, all the fights, all the fights. And I remember going through this whole thing with um, with Herb Dean going through his academy, and he said if if you don't get nervous before any fight you do, then you don't love what you're doing. Oh. And I remember thinking, I'm like dudes because you're not taking it seriously yeah exactly or, or you don't you're not fully um engaged in just how much responsibility is actually on your shoulders exactly exactly so 
And now, I mean, I get nervous whether I do fights here at the Las Cruces Convention Center or whether I'm at Route 66 in front of thousands of people or whether I'm in Westminster, Colorado, doing an LFA in front of like five, six thousand people. You still get nervous. And, right. and, you know, and that's because, you know, you love what you're doing and you're actually your mind is there where you need to be. So, yeah, it's it's. It is a lot of responsibility. It is. Um, and it's something that it's definitely not for everybody, you sure, know, sure. and you have to know that you're going to get booed. You, you're, you know, you're, you're going to, people are not going to like you half. Like I said, half of the people are going to like you. Half of the other people are not going to like you. And the worst is like when you get, I mean, I've done fights in Albuquerque where it's an Albuquerque fighter against someone else. And those Albuquerque crowds are just on another level, really? you know? And, um, and a lot of the times their local fighter has lost and it's, you know, losses that, you know, they're, they're getting pounded and I'm telling them to fight back and they're not listening to my instructions. And at that point I stop it and I stop right. it for good reasons. And they still, they're still booing me. You know, they want their fighter to get up or I don't know if they want to go to the old classic, uh, WWF when, when people <laughs> would clap you and the fighter would wake up and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it is, it is. <laughs> It is a, it's a big responsibility, but it's fine. It's fine. And, and I, I enjoy what I do. And I, I take stepping into the cage very serious. Yeah. I, I take it extremely serious because this is something that not, not only did I want to do, but I have two fighters, you know, that are, that I have to look out for their safety first, you know, and again, whatever happens there is going to either hurt their record or, you know, help their record in the future. And you just kind of want to, have a also a good connection but with the fighters and let sure. them know that you know this is why i'm doing it uh there's little tricks or there's little things that uh, when i talk to my fighters like i say when i talk to my fighters individually <clears throat> i'll always tell them you know what i will not make myself seen in the cage until i have to make myself seen if you are breaking or creating a foul you'll hear me talk to you if it's too obvious and you'll hear me do something about it. Um, so that's why Tom, Tom, as long as you keep it, you know, if you stay busy, you're not going to see me. You're not going to hear about me until I have to stop the round. So I would want every fight to go to the decision if I was running, <laughs> but you know, and this is, this is another thing. So a lot of the times, and it's stopping the fight, you know, because of fouls, you know, you have to go through the foul protocol and, you know, the, the, I know there's been a couple and I think Herb's the one that's been involved in those uh, knees, those illegal knees. But a lot of the times you, 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 and I've, I've done this before and I know other referees that are watching this have done this. We kind of use the doctor as our little scapegoat mm. because it's different if, a, if the crowd is just doesn't want the fight to stop and if you come in, because as soon as you wave, it's officially over at right, that point. Right. But a lot of the times you kind of don't want to stop it because you don't want to be the one that stops the fight. So that's when you call the doctor. And as soon as a doctor steps in, you're kind of already talking in his ear. You're kind of telling him, you know what? He has this cut. I think it's pretty bad. If it were me, I'd stop it. But it's up to you. So once they see the fighter, they're already thinking, oh, the referee would stop it. So if they mm. see a cut that's bad enough... Um, and they that, stop what's it. that called Brazilian roughing? <laughs> we'll call it Brazilian roughing. <laughs> we'll call it, but you know it needs to be stopped. I mean, if it's just literally hanging, but you don't want to be the one, unless it's something very obvious, but you don't want to be the one that stops it. You kind of just what and then be like, What, what doctor? Yeah, okay. And then that's when you stop mm. it. So, you, so the crowd can see you ask the doctor, and then 
Bro, you're giving away industry secrets. Right I now. am. I am. I need, <laughs> I need to stop now. <laughs> so that uh, that Peter Yon Sterling fight, that illegal knee, did the doctor stop that? No. I think I think uh, um, uh, Sterling wasn't able to get back on his feet. Correct. He so, was so dazed. Yeah. So that was uh, uh, that was Herb's decision. Was he the one well, ref in that fight? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't remember. Um, was it? No, well, I don't think it was Herb. I'm not sure. I yeah, look it up. I think it was um I know it wasn't Jason. I think it must have been Mark Smith. Probably Mark is the one that refed it. Like that it might be. Uh it's gonna be a little bit tricky to find who the ref was. Mark Smith? Yeah, it was Mark. Oh. Yeah. So we we go through what's called uh the foul protocol. So as soon as a foul's committed you have to go into was the foul, you know, on purpose? Was it accidental? And at that point, like literally we have a paper that says if it was, you know, on purpose, if it was accidental, and then you start going through different things. That's what you learn when you go through the, through the course. So if it was accidental, if it is past the halfway point of the fight, let's say it happened in the fourth round. We're talking about a five-round fight, the halfway point being two and a half minutes in the third round. Anything after two and a half minutes, it's already past the halfway point. Right. So an accidental foul after the halfway point goes to the scores, uh, to the judge's scorecard. And at they'll judge it up until that point. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm not sure. No, that last part. It goes to the scorecard. What do you mean? It goes so the after every round, the judge turns in their scorecard. Uh -huh. So you don't keep the scorecards through all five rounds. So after every round, you have to put 10, 9, 10, 8, whatever it is. Somebody picks it up, and that's if the foul happened in the fourth round. At that point, if the if you can't continue, the referee stops it. You have to score the fourth round as to oh. who was winning it, because after the halfway point, it goes. To a decision. Oh. Yeah. If it's accidental. And but if it's intentional, that's it's, a DQ. Correct. If it's intentional. But see, how do you decide if that knee that Peter Jan hit Sterling with was intentional or accidental? Well, or or a groin shot or uh, that eye gouge with what's his name? The Palestinian guy. Oh uh, yes. Bilal or yeah, or, uh, it was Bilal and uh dude, that was one of the now uh, probably the nastiest eye gouge I've ever seen. Yeah. That it, was like a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was a few, and the way he hit the ground in pain. Oh, dude, was, well, did you uh, see the pictures after? Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Horrible. I saw it on his Twitter. Uh, what's his name? Bilal what? Uh, was it Bilal Muhammad or Muhammad? Oh, Bilal? yeah, I think so. One Bilal of, Muhammad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was nasty. That was pretty bad. Horrible. Yeah. Um. It, well, so as of, I think, last year, um, they passed that to where that's a foul. So if you're going up against, and, and they did this because of John Jones, John Jones was very, you know, about doing this to his opponent. So now if you are aiming. They changed the rules because of John Jones? Yeah, they changed. <laughs> I'll figure, right? <laughs> so they, you can't actually reach to a fighter now if you're from the chest all the way to the top of the head with extended fingers you have to have a palm or a fist mm. if you're doing that. If you're on the, if you're like lower than you can, but who's going to be fighting like this so and that's to try to stop the eye pokes from happening uh -huh. and, and you know bellator's gloves are uh they change the gloves right 
Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, don't, so, I don't follow Bellator. So Bellator has the gloves to where the, the finger, the half of the finger is already facing down. Oh, so you can extend it. I heard about that. Yeah. How does that affect the grappling though? Can you, like if you, I mean, you could still kind of, you can still open your you hand. Can still, well, I mean, you can open to that much. You just can't like fully extend. So <sighs> yeah, that to me is, is kind of, uh, they're fucking around too much. They're, yeah. They're, they're looking way too much into it. That whole knee thing is, I mean, it's difficult when, you, when you're explaining to it. Initially, when I started, it was like a three points down. If three points of your body were down, you're considered a grounded fighter. Right. And then they switched it to four points down. Oh, really? Like two years ago. Now, they switched it to anything other than the soles of your feet. You're considered grounded. So feet, feet, arm, feet, feet, elbow, feet, feet, butt cheek, that's considered down. So it they're they're getting it's so it's back to three points. It's back to three points, yeah. Well, what what a lot of fighters were doing in the clinch is they would touch the ground if their opponents in a position where they can knee them or kick them in the head, like they got them up against the cage mm -hmm. and they can knee them. They would just bend down and touch the ground because once they touch the ground, the opponent can't knee them in the head. Correct. Which, which I think is kind of a, especially at the level of the UFC. Yeah. That's a that's that's just a, a, a squirmy way to, to to defend yourself. Correct. And so that because of that, they actually made the rule change again. But it, so now it means so now you can't if you're playing this game, the the putting your arm back uh -huh, down. Uh -huh. As far as me, this is not on the rules, but every referee will tell you this. If you're playing that game, we're gonna let you get neat in the head. You're playing a game. That's not strategically doing it. So it's, now it's not. It's, isn't isn't strategy playing by the rules? Turn using the rules to your advantage as much as possible. Right, but that's putting that in in our opinion. That's kind of putting away at the game because if you're the one clinching up, and you you have him here, what are you going to be doing this game? That oh, is his hand down, his hand not down. No, you just look for something other than a knee, or <laughs> or, or you you pull him up and then knee him. And because of that, now they say that it's not fingers. Now it's got to be the whole palm. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? So okay. it's not a football stance anymore. Now your whole palm has to have weight on there. What about you fist? To become a fist? Fist or palm. But as long as you have your weight on there, okay, that's already considered. If you just have your fingers, that's not. But then you start getting into the whole, I, I don't know, looking too much into it like you said yes the yes. whole thing with aljo is that um not aldo aljo is and what mark aljo uh, alderman Star sterling, sterling yeah. okay yeah yeah the the thing that really got it there is that mark literally told pewter he's down oh and he then did. he still proceeded to knee him mm. after he told so I don't like to do that. I don't. The I, there's a lot of refs that as soon as they hear the ten seconds, they like to say ten seconds. I don't like to do that because the, yeah, I don't the think less, the ref should exactly because if you're really like fighting and you hear ten seconds and you're not quite sure, it's going to stop you and be like, "What did you say?" So I don't like to speak unless right, I am right. calling out a foul or or be careful with your head or be careful with the shots to the head or don't, don't grab, grab the, the gloves fence, or yeah. don't grab the fence. But if I if I yell something like ten seconds and even like ground like I, and i know a lot of referees do and that's the way they do it i just don't like to do it if somebody's down they'll yell he's down or you know he's grounded I, again i don't like to do that because the the less i'm involved in the fight for me it's it's better i agree but mark is one of them that calls him 
like that. And in this case, he said he's down. And then he still proceeded to knee him after. Does Jan speak English? That that shouldn't matter. No, no. And let me tell you why. Because prior, especially, you know, for fit, fights like this, and I don't think he does, but whenever, and you don't see that a lot here in our area, but I've gone to Colorado and we've had this happen in Arizona where you have to have translators. Mm. And that is something that we, that the commission actually takes care of. Because once we're giving the rules meeting, we need to know here, we have a lot of uh, fighters from Mexico. So when we give the rules meeting, I will say, you know, there'll be a translator there and I'll speak to the, I'll personally speak to the ones that just speak Spanish, but in front of, in front of everybody, I'll say, if you want us to give you the rules meeting in Spanish, please let us know, or in Japanese or whatever your native language is, because once we get up there, we're not going to be with this, uh, you know, I'm confused is, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, but either way, he's the champ. You know, if, if if Mark did yell something and he wasn't close, he wasn't that close to him. I mean, he's seeing him. Right, right. He knew he was ground. And I mean, he's he's a pro. He's he's a champ. He should know better. He yeah, should for know sure. better. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, if it weren't for that accident, there wouldn't be any American champions in the UFC right now. Sterling's the only one. Champions? UFC champions. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Sterling's the only one right now. That's right. Yeah. That's right. As of prior to him, I think Bro. there were everybody was, yeah. I mean, what, what's going on, America? <laughs> I know, right? It used to be something that was dominant. Yeah. I, I hear you, man. You've got getting... three African champions, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Adesanya, Ngano, and uh, Kamaru Usman. Yeah. Who's about to fight Masvidal? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. The rematch. Oh. We're going to be here for that one. Yeah. That's, that's the one on the 24th. So you'll be okay. here. Yeah. And then Cristobal and Sanders, Sanders Schiller, who was just on the podcast last week. Okay. Uh, or uh, a Thursday. He was on okay. a few days ago. We're, we're going to be watching him here, man. Yeah. That's, be that, that should be a good, I mean, with a full fight camp, it's going to be a good fight. It's going to be interesting. I want to see how it's going to go, dude. Cause if he was not in fight shape for the first one and he still handled Kamara the way he did. Yeah. Uh, on, on the feet. I mean, the, the kickboxing, there's just, Masvidal is, is so much better, mm-hmm. leaps and bounds better than Kamaru. I thought, right. um, and then he even handled him well on the cage. I just don't think he had the conditioning to actually fight. Right, so he yeah. was just kind of kind of going with him. Yeah, but he, he I want to see him in there, uh, fully prepared, and see how he does. I think that's going to be pretty cool. I agree. And then there's also Valentina Shevchenko mm-hmm. against uh, I don't know who she's fighting, and then Rose Rose is fighting uh, Jessica, right, Andraj. Oh, is that who she's fighting? I believe <gasps> so, yeah. I don't know. I think it's but a, it's a, it's a, a pretty badass Yeah, call. Three title fights in a night, man. There's so yeah. many champions now. They're that's going to be good, yeah. That's going to be pretty cool. I really, really hope that nobody gets COVID or breaks a oh, rib or God. something. <laughs> We're and, only two weeks away. And that is the one with a full crowd, right? Florida. Oh, maybe. Is that yeah. in Florida? That's okay. the one in Florida. Jacksonville, I believe. So it's going to have 100% capacity. Damn. Yeah. Look at that. Now, how long did the whole refereeing school take from first day until you were licensed? It's a five-day course. 
Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Five days. That's it. And then you apply for, you You have to start going state by state. Correct. Yeah. So New Mexico, I had already, uh, I, I knew them because of Steve-O fighting uh-huh. and, and Mondo's fighters. So they, they already knew who I was. Um, so I went with them and quickly they said, yeah, you know, especially if, if you know, you went through the herb course. Uh, so I started working with New Mexico and I was actually just, I did New Mexico for just, for about three years. And just them. And then that's when uh, John Judy started doing fights in Texas, uh, King of the Cage at the Socorro Entertainment Center. And then he picked me up for well, that. that's not really Texas, is it? No. it's That's on the reservation. That's reservation. They're talking about bringing that back. I heard, but, but I heard, there's no I, venue, though. I heard some whispers. Well, they're talking about bringing it back, brother. The only place, I mean, I don't think Speaking, Speaking Rock has. Oh, uh, maybe it's Speaking Rock? Well, it, the Socorro Entertainment Center is part of Speaking Rock. Uh-huh. So that's reservation. So that's the only place. But Socorro Entertainment Center doesn't exist anymore. Because the Texas uh, Athletic Commission is such a pain in the dick. Nobody wants to go through them anymore. TDLR is is a little difficult uh, to work. Now, I am licensed with them as a referee and a judge. Well, as a referee, it's probably different than somebody putting on a show. Oh, totally. Totally. Uh, The guys, the promoters who are putting on these shows, they don't want to deal with the Texas Commission. So they look for for holes like uh, reservation land to do the fights on. That's That's why King of the Cage used to always be in Rioso. Oh yeah, because they did. They didn't go to through the state. They went through the reservation. Yeah. And as a referee, ABC, um, well, they they frown upon you refing on reservation. So when you ref on reservation, you are left at your own will. So at that point, we don't have any um, backing if something does happen. When what do you we, mean? In, we, in what way? Like well, what? in work when we work with the uh, with the commission, we have an attorney. In case, oh. in case you know we want to get sued for anything, um, and you know, in case they want to um, contest the 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 stoppage or whatever, um, we have somebody backing us up. We have somebody that you know, like, like I said, the, the attorney. Uh, every commission has to have the attorney. You're going to have the executive directors back you up in case something happens. If you go to um, a reservation and for some reason something happens, you can get sued, and you would have to get your own attorney and go through it all yourself. So a lot of referees, they, they do it cause it's fun, but some referees will not do reservation fights. Reservation law is so weird. It is right. Yeah. They're not subject to federal laws. They have their own courts. They have mm-hmm. their own, they don't pay taxes. There's no property tax. Correct. I, I used to always say like, there's two ways that I'm one day going to avoid paying property taxes. Either I'm going to marry a veteran with a hundred percent disability and then I'm not, and then the house is going to be in her name and I'm not going to pay taxes or I'm going to meet my Pocahontas and move to the reservation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's why every time I go and do fights at reservations, I make sure my beard is nice and, and good just in case, uh, you know, I end up staying there, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go build, build a, a, a two story TP. It's going to be, it's going to be going to have all, all the, all the hookups. Just make sure you got Wi-Fi in there. <laughs> I don't know if they have Wi-Fi. Does spectrum go out there or Maybe time they, they Warner? Have or... spectrum, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they probably do. That's funny, man. That like, well, it's kind of, it's messed up, but it's kind of funny that Europeans came over here and told the Indians like, this is all you get to keep. Yeah. And as long as you stay there, we won't fuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to move back over here to where you used to be, you got to pay taxes. You got to pay taxes. Yeah. So the Indians are like, fuck y'all. We're not paying any taxes. We're just going to stay over here. <laughs> Property taxes are such a bitch, man. I hate them. I really do. I think it's the most unconstitutional thing in America. Like when you talk oh, about 
Um, everybody talks about life, liberty, and property, or some people say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, however you want to look at it. There is no property. They're like you, you're paying rent forever. Yeah, you are. I mean, there are some people who are exempt, like veterans in some mm -hmm. states uh, don't pay. I think New Mexico, if you're a veteran, you you just flat out don't pay any property taxes. Mm -hmm. In Texas, it's it goes based on disability. Oh. Like if you have 50% medical disability, then your taxes are half. If you have 100%, you don't pay anything. Hmm. Interesting. And so basically, you got to go to the army and get fucking blown up just to save some money. Just to, yeah. I mean, <laughs> God. How messed up I'll is that? It, man, God, that's horrible. <laughs> but not always. I know some people who have 100% disability from the military and they're healthy and strong as an ox. Yeah. They're fine. You know, like one guy, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I got disability because my lower back is messed up. I got bulging discs and all that. And I'm watching him deadlift 500 pounds. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's a mess. Yeah. I don't know what to do about that, though. Hmm. Got to do something. Right. Joel, got to do something. Something's yeah, Start a YouTube channel. Talk about property taxes. <laughs> the injustice. Of, Let's do it. <laughs> what, what exactly is an ordained minister? Um, in terms of like your relationship with the church, like you're not a pastor, you can't, you can't, you don't hold sermons. No. So, I mean, I, I, the, the reason I became an ordained minister is because I wanted to go into hospitals and be a volunteer chaplain and to be able to uh, speak, you know, with, with parents and stuff like that. And, um, so is this recent? Yeah, this was actually right after, um, Mia passed that I went oh, to okay. Monterey, Mexico to get that prior to that. I was a youth pastor, but I was actually, um, ordained by the pastor himself. So at that point, yeah, I was preaching and I was holding sermons myself and all of that. So, um, I can be a pastor. It's just, I don't, I don't want to be a pastor. I mean, I, I don't want to be, what uh, would you have to do to be, a, to become a pastor? Oh, I mean, as long as the, the senior pastor needs uh, uh, an associate pastor or anything, they can go ahead and, and make me a pastor. But I, I don't want to do that right now because that kind of just limits me to being at one church. Okay. You know what I mean? Right okay. now, I'm, I do a lot of things. And, you know, I do, I've been doing a lot of motivational speaking also. Um, I So I actually did a mo motivational speaking event, and I was with Butterbean. Butterbean was oh, one, really? one of the other motivational speakers there, which is, <laughs> really? oh man, that guy is such a cool dude. And he has some amazing stories, man. Butterbean, for people who don't know, what's he, like 400 pounds? He's probably about 400 pounds. He was pounds, an MMA man. fighter? He was an MMA fighter, but he was the king of four-rounders. He's the one that would fight right before any big fight and do a four rounds. And usually in 30, 40 seconds, he would murder the other guy. I saw a fight against him and... The other guy was a lightweight. Either it was either Genki Sudo or Kid Yamamoto. I don't remember. Okay, one of those mm -hmm. fighting Butterbean, and it just looked ridiculous. Yeah, because you got a guy that's like 140 pound Japanese yeah. dude. <laughs> you got gigantic. I don't know how they sanctioned that. It was. I think it was in Japan. It was in Japan. Yeah, it was in Japan. He did a lot of fights in Japan. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. He said, man, "He said the man they would they would take they would send me to Japan, pay for everything." And give me five hundred thousand dollars, seven hundred thousand dollars cash, and that's it. Just to fight somebody over there, he goes, "I would do it." So I was like, "Okay, cool." And, and back then, when he was fighting, the, this whole airport thing wasn't as bad. So he goes, "I would literally just like stuff the money in my pants because there's only a certain amount that you can carry through the airport." Yeah, he goes, and they wouldn't even check me. He goes, especially because 
they say they would be like, oh, it's Butterbeam. Can we take a picture and just let me through the flights and everything? So he has some stories, man. He's He's got a bad back and a bad hip, though, right now. So he's actually walking like with a walker, but like like literally hunched over now. All that weight is probably not helping. Yeah. But he's a cool dude. He's a solid dude. So we actually, yeah. So we did an event in Hobbs, New Mexico, a motivational speaker event. And that was last year, I think we did that. Where did, does he live around here? He, no, he lives in Cheyenne. And, Where is that? In Wyoming. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he lives there. He actually has two restaurants. That's what he does now. And he does uh, all of these like comic cons stuff. It, is the restaurant called Butterbean? It's called, uh, <laughs> that's no, what, that's it's what not. I would call. Why call it anything else? It's called Mr. Beans. Okay. Well, still yeah. along the same lines. Yeah. I would call it Butterbean. <laughs> so what, um, uh, you're writing a book too, or you've written a book. So I wrote a book, uh, my daughter's story. It's okay. called miracle in action right now. It's, um, I'm just kind of going through the whole like legal part of it just so and, and you know just because i have to sign waivers of the people that i'm using the names and stuff like that and i'm actually so um amy amy is actually my publicist amy I, I uh um jesse's sister briggs oh yeah i've never met her i, I, I know she's I know Jessie, an amazing but... amazing author okay she, she's an amazing author so she's actually my publicist and she's the one that's uh helping me with all oh, of this cool. so yeah so so me and Amy, i hit her up to help me with my book matt she is are you writing your book too yeah i'm writing a book <laughs> dude hit her up seriously hit her it's up called get your life together ah. subtitle the most important rule there you go Dude, seriously, if you need help, you need to hit her up. I do. She's I do amazing, know. bro. And okay. she has her own consulting company, and that's all. Oh, I, I don't know if that's all she does, but I know that she does that, and she's she's big. She does book tours all okay. over the U.S. for her oh, yeah? books. Yeah, she writes novels, and so she does a book tour. So she's actually the one. I got to bring uh, her in helping here. You, she would be an amazing guest. Well, dude, it's funny, man. When you ask people like, hey, are there guests you recommend for my podcast? I'm like, oh, let me think about it. And it's like somebody's sister. <laughs> they, they don't think about I, it. Jesse was here last week. Wasn't he yeah. two weeks ago? A couple of weeks ago, whenever we had the the fights, the last, uh, what card did we watch? He was here. Yeah, he was here a couple of weeks ago. Okay, yeah. He yeah and and with... he came on on his own too one time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you know what was spooky? The first time he came on the show, he was telling me about a recurring nightmare that he has. It's the same fucking recurring nightmare that I have. We're like, we're in a situation where we needed to use, like we were getting attacked mm -hmm. and I draw my firearm. I point at the guy and I'm trying to squeeze the trigger, but it's so heavy. I can't squeeze it. Mm. And then I got to like use both hands and try to squeeze it. And I just can't get the trigger to squeeze same dream have you guys looked into that or what it means dude we're gonna get into the <laughs> multiverse um and then well cristobal was with us last time and he talked about like he he had he has a similar dream but i, I forget what it was but basically it has to do with like hand-to-hand -hand fighting not not with a firearm but something like that like he's trying really hard to to take a guy down couldn't take him down or some something something like that i don't remember but basically along the same lines wow. and it made me think okay like we're all martial artists and we're all kind of have this embedded right worry i guess right um that is that is showing up in our dreams in the same same way and that would be really cool to have somebody psychoanalyze that and that would be i think that's kind of something to look into 
I'm going to start asking all the people I train with <laughs> if they have dreams like that. Uh, okay. So yeah, he was, uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll hit her up. He's yeah. Uh, yeah he was on the show. He, I mean, we, we had, we had a great time, man. Those, those fights are really cool, man. The, the episodes, I call those episodes outer space. Okay. And cause it's just like, you know, we just sit here, we bullshit, we watch a fight, we commentate, we bullshit. And uh -huh. it's just, it's, it's chaos. It's, <laughs> it's cool. I'm looking forward to this next one. Yeah, dude, it'll be very cool yeah, to have yeah. you in here. We'll have a MMA ref in here. Um, so yeah, man, what else you got? That's it, brother. Um, now nah, man, thank you for having me here. I, I don't know. I, and I've touched this on a couple of things, uh, or podcasts that I do. Uh, I don't know if you knew that I'm, I'm a part of a worldwide brotherhood of bearded men. I did not know that. Yeah. So there is this worldwide brotherhood called Bearded Villains. Good. Oh, I've heard about that. Hey, look at the hat. Yeah. So uh, literally, we're all over the world. We have chapters in Canada, UK. Um, chapters. Chapters. That's yeah. what, that's the lingo that uh, bikers use. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they, they and it's I watched. I watched that show. What's that show called? Mayans? No. Uh with the bikers is a great show it'll come to me right now I'll think um it. sons of anarchy yeah, yeah sons of okay. anarchy yes yes so have you seen um <laughs> I you, haven't, you haven't seen mayans no mayans is a spinoff of sons of anarchy is it good it's it's good it's i would still say sons of anarchy is better but this is barely on their third season and okay. a couple of my buddies are in there uh mike beltran who's the referee is in there Okay. You know, Mike, the one with the big old braids. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah, he's yeah. in the show. Oh he's, really? He's an actor too. Yeah. So that dude, that's that a guy. spin off show. That dude's awesome, man. Dude's... <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something behind his hair. He's a he's a well. It's his what is it? His hair it's his or his mustache? His mustache. His mustache is all braided. He's a <laughs> big dude, man. He looks scary, but he is one of the nicest persons you'll ever meet. Oh man. sure, yeah. Sure. Man. Cool and so what do you all do? Do you have to, um, do you have, do you have to get a tattoo or something to no. join? <laughs> no, we're all charity based. Of course you need to have a beard. Your beard needs to be, a, uh, an inch and a quarter under your chin. Oh shit. Um, and then you, you yeah, it's kind of like biker thing. You, you're so, first, you're, you're uh, hopeful before you actually get patched up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all charity based. We do a lot of work with the Ronald McDonald house here with candle lighters at the Reynolds home with the veterans nonprofit. Um, every, Every two weeks we go and, and we, uh, to the food pantry for the veterans. So we just do a lot of work for our community here, man. That's pretty cool. So if you trim your beard, they kick you out. Yes. So <laughs> you, yeah, you become a member. And once you become a loyal, you, you can't, you can't, um, shave anymore. There's certain circumstances. <laughs> for example, That's I shaved. Cool. I like I, that. When I had my shaving party, when Mia lost her hair, I was able to cut mine. Okay. But at that point, you can't, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't shave. It's literally, you're the, uh, the bearded, um, you're bearded for life. You're a bearded villain. And you're a bearded villain. And that's how it came about, man. So I actually started <laughs> letting my beard grow for a no shave November. Mm. And it was right there, right then that I kind of started picking up, picking up a little bit of steam as a referee. Okay. And back then they didn't, they didn't know my name. They just knew me as the bearded ref. They were like, hey, uh, we like that guy. We like the way he refs, the, that guy, the bearded ref, the bearded ref. <laughs> and that's how I that's actually cool. drew attention from the bearded villains. They said, hey, we saw you in a televised fight. And, you know, we have this uh, beard club. It's a worldwide brotherhood. And we were charity based. And we want to see if you wanted to join. And, yeah, in 2016, I became a hopeful. And, like, five months later, I was patched up. 
and I'm one of the uh, officers now. So that's a lot of lingo you're throwing out. Yeah, <laughs> a hopeful got patched up, and now you're an officer. Yeah, so I've been in here for about five years. So yeah, needless to say, I can't shave anymore. So you guys get together? Do you have do you have meetings? Or you get together? Yeah, we meet once a month, and then well, when this whole COVID thing hit, we weren't uh, doing any charity work, of course. But we started back up again. But we were at the uh, Ronald McDonald House once a month, at the uh, Randall's home doing a diaper distribution for for families that you know live low income, uh, veterans, you know, helping them out. So yeah, we do a lot of charity work monthly. So and then every year we have um, the uh, the world meet. So somewhere in the world, um, we have all the chapters come together. The last year there wasn't any. The year before, it was in Los Angeles, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there was about 40,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a lot more, but those are the only ones that were able to go to world to the world meet. Yeah, about 40,000 villains there. That's a lot of villains, Joel. That is a lot. <laughs> that's, and that's a commitment to the beard, too, man. Yeah. Why Why villains, though? Like, you guys are doing all this charity work and all this. Why villain? That is why, because people have- You're trying to juxtapose it? Yeah, people have a misconception of bearded men. They think they're bikers, they're gang members and stuff like that. So they wanted to create that name so you can kind of be like villains. Okay. But then these villains are are helping out and, and doing a lot for, for, for all these charities and organizations. That's hilarious, man. That makes me think of the movie Despicable Me. <laughs> bunch of... Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Bunch of villains get together. Yeah. I love those movies. Despicable Me is a great one. And... Another one that I really love is The Croods. Have you seen that? I saw that one. Dude. That one is cool. The first or the second? The first one. I haven't seen the second. The second is great, too. Okay. Yeah, they're great. Uh-huh. I really like that. I really like those movies. And The Incredibles. That, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, aside from The Incredibles, they're really, like, in, in the last couple of decades, there haven't been any new superheroes introduced. Hmm. Like there's, they're still making more Batman and Superman movies. And I go, what the hell? Yeah. Like, why can't we come up with some new superheroes? Very true. The Incredibles was awesome because I'm like, hey, what? When did the Incredible one? Oh, when that, were they that was. How long ago was that? Has it been a long time? It, it, maybe I just found out about them a few years ago. No, I. Well, maybe five years. Maybe. Like in the like after 2010. Yeah. Maybe sure. I, I don't know. Okay. But the point is, like Superman and Batman, Spider Man. They've been around since what the sixties? Oh, God, probably even before then. Probably yeah. even before then. And they keep coming up with Batman Returns, Batman Begins, The <laughs> Dark Knight, Batman and Robin, Batman yeah. and the Joker, Batman and what the like? Come on, yeah, it's time for some new super. Somebody needs man. to, I don't know, dude, smoke some weed and come up with some new <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's how most of them came about, right? <laughs> well, they, I don't know, maybe they're manifestations of somebody's own desires true somebody really wanted to be superman and so they invented a character and they lived vicariously through it somebody wanted to wear their underwear outside their pants and that's what they wanted that's yeah. really what it was it was yeah. probably just some kind of a perverted <laughs> desire a perverted <laughs> desire that was like hey maybe if we turn him into a superhero and then he's like well everybody's gonna beat me up if i walk around my underwear, so i better be super strong <laughs> Or somebody just that, in case they're stronger than me, I got to be able to fly away. Yeah, or, or Batman, somebody <laughs> that creeps around in the dark alleys, right? Somebody, yeah. yeah. Batman's a bit creepy. Yeah. Well, he just, he comes out of darkness, though. True. Parents getting murdered in the alley and all that. Spider-Man's kind of a 
cool story. Like there was this nerd, and then he became yeah. Spider Man. And then I'll give you that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But like he would be useless in El Paso. That's the problem with Spider Man. No buildings. No, there's no buildings. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be going from uh, from from I guess what the old Paso del Norte to the the double tree and that's about yeah, it right yeah yeah he's got like like three blocks downtown that he could swing from <laughs> that that's all they would do right they <laughs> would just it. go to downtown and capture him there he wouldn't go anywhere else <laughs> right, right? <laughs> he'd be kind of useless i've thought about that too the thing about superman though that people have um have expressed displeasure with over the years is that he's too damn powerful hmm. he could do too much there's no really weakness i mean well i mean the kryptonite, the kryptonite yeah but like in terms of his capabilities he's bulletproof he can fly he can shoot lasers, lasers. out of his eyes he's got x-ray vision that's true they should he's have given super him fast like, i don't know if he's faster than the flash or not but he's super fast he can breathe in outer space like yeah. there's like the superman i mean he's really super yeah he could do a lot and so when people get in you have the argument about who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman? I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah. Batman is human. Yeah. He just has a cool belt that does a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. But he's human. Yeah. Like a punch from Superman would just shatter his skull. Easy. If you were refing that fight. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I would have to. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one fight I wouldn't want to ref. <laughs> <laughs> and then Spider-Man. Spider-Man is pretty cool. I like Spider-Man. I like his style. You know, they developed his style from a series of uh, Kung Fu moves. Hmm. And then they put their own spin on it, the developers, because his fighting style is very unusual. It's his own it thing. It is, yeah. It's not karate. It's not boxing. Oh, interesting. Uh, Batman gets into a very, like, boxing yeah. type of stuff. And judo, you see him throwing mm -hmm. people. Spider-Man is totally unique. All the kicks and the stuff that he does. Plus, he's, you know, swinging off his webs. True. I just think we need some new superheroes. That's my point. Well, maybe that's the next book you need to write. I'm not that creative, dude. I'm not either. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, my, my attention span for that will be about 10 minutes, and then I'm doing something else. <laughs> right. I mean, people in general, though, are not that creative. Like, look at superheroes. Again, Superman looks like a man. They go, oh, he's from outer space. He's from yeah. a different planet, whatever. Looks like a man. Um uh, uh, think about any uh, Wonder Woman. She's supposed to be from some other planet, yeah. but she just looks like a like a woman. Mm -hmm. Aquaman, Aquaman. That movie was terrible. I never even saw. Yeah, it was don't good. You're doing well. Okay. Don't <laughs> don't don't watch it. Um, who's who's the other guy? The Martian, the green guy. Oh, um, you know what I'm talking about. He was in the yeah. Justice League. Still looks like a man. He's yeah. just green. Yeah. You know, and he could go through walls and he can take on different forms, yeah. right? It's like, but everybody still looks like a person. Yeah. I guess they have to be so that we can relate to them. Right. So, yeah, I guess they, they have to have that part of the storyline in it. So you could be like, hey, you know, they're like me, but they're not. Yeah. Like if there was a superhero horse going around saving people, nobody would give a shit. <laughs> unicorns? People would just want to ride it. True. I don't know about unicorns. Were there unicorns someday? Maybe. Noah didn't put put one on his ark. No, <laughs> no, they, forgot they, the they, unicorn. They yeah, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> the memo didn't get to them. Yeah, <laughs> they were busy. Uh, all right, now I'm just being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here. Awesome. This was fun, man. Thanks for coming in. Hey, man, thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, it was good to see you, and look forward to 
to watching some fights with you, brother. Yes, me too. I look forward to that for sure. Thanks, brother. I'll All see right. you later. Bye, everybody.